And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Yo, yo. Welcome to a preseason edition of the Forum Club. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, joined as always by my co-host, Bill Oram. Bill, how was your offseason? Are you ready for the season? Where, where are you at right now? Yeah, I like that you say joined as always. Like we, do, this is something we do regularly. I just look. This is our <laughs> oh, first. Ep- this is our first episode week, since August fifth, I mean. and then <laughs> and I think that was our first one since the Lakers lost in the playoffs. So uh, my off season was um, was good. I actually had to tear my house apart even to find my microphone just now. Like you know, my wife, who's much tidier than I am, had cleaned up and like stuck it in a in a bag in a closet, and I. I, I wasn't sure we were, I was even going to be able to join you today, but I finally found it. So uh, off season, good, uh, excited to dive in on all things Lakers and this season, which I know we're all you know fascinated by for various reasons that we're about to touch on. So as we're recording this, we are less than 24 hours away from the start of the Lakers 2021-22 season. This is Monday morning, media day and training camp begin tomorrow. Uh, before we dig into some questions and, and topics with the season, I first want to discuss a juicy story that dropped this morning on The Athletic. Bill, Shams, Sharania, and Sam Amick joined up super team style to reveal some explosive details about how Russell Westbrook joined the Lakers, the other options the Lakers were considering, Frank Vogel's contract extension, and the most likely starting lineup. Uh, Bill, where should we start? I think the behind the scenes stuff with Westbrook was the most noteworthy, but uh, the the floor is yours to kind of dig into what, what I thought was a really uh, well done story. Oh, thanks, man. Um, you know, I think I think the biggest thing, you know, I mean, listen, the Westbrook trade is the biggest story of the summer, and I think people are always interested in how those sorts of deals come together. And so, you know, you read the story, you're going to learn a lot about um, about how close the Lakers were on Buddy Heald. And, and then kind of how Russ took that matters into his own hands to make that deal come together. Because up until draft day, the Wizards had been um, resistant to even um, opening conversations on Westbrook. They believed enough in the Westbrook and Beal combo. They wanted to see um, what that looked like for another year. They were not really planning on trading him. And um, as, the story will, as the story says, I mean, Westbrook goes to ownership, goes to Ted Leonsis and basically makes a personal appeal to him and says, you know, I want to go home. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a, you know, a bad egg. I'm not trying to be a cancer in the locker room. Like, you know, I'm going to play out my contract if, if you can't get a deal with the Lakers, but like, that's where I want to go. And that's what I want. And that ended up resonating with Ted Leonsis. And really on draft day, as you know, I think we've heard a little bit before, that's when it all came together sort of at the last minute. Uh, Jeannie Buss ended up getting on the phone with Ted Leonsis to iron out some of the, the final details and, and just to talk to him about the guys that uh, the Wizards were getting. Um, you know, obviously we know Jeannie uh, gets very close to players on this team and she wanted to um, reassure Leonsis about the, the quality of players that the Wizards were going to receive in the deal. And, you know, so, I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that. And then, you know, the story just sort of unfolds from there where, you know, the, 
Russell Westbrook was not the Lakers only target. And, and actually in this context, when I say the Lakers, you know, we really mean LeBron James and Anthony Davis and to a lesser degree, uh, Jared Dudley, who was in the room with a lot of those meetings. Uh, you know, previously there was reporting that uh, LeBron and AD had met with Russell Westbrook, but you know, they had meetings with other players as well. And we sort of detail um, one of those uh, players was DeMar DeRozan who met with LeBron at his house twice. He came away feeling like those meetings uh, were going to lead him back home to LA. You know, it's obviously a homecoming for Russell Westbrook, but DeMar DeRozan uh, thought it was shaping up for him to be a Laker and uh, was kind of caught off guard by the way things transpired on, on draft day. Uh, he ultimately needed to uh, look elsewhere and ended up signing a, a very lucrative contract with the Chicago Bulls. But, you know, there's tons of other stuff we get into, um, you know, Frank Vogel's contract extension, like you said, the starting lineup. Um, so, uh, you know, a whole lot to unpack on that story. Yeah, I found the LeBron recruiting camp out of his estate in Brentwood very interesting and Jared Dudley's involvement in all of that. And then Jared Dudley not ending up back on the, the team when I think it was clear based on him being involved in the recruiting that he assumed he would be back. Well, and I think, you know, and from the Lakers point of view and this, like, again like i don't want to give away the whole story because you can yeah, listen to yeah, the podcast for, for free sure, for sure. and and, and you got to pay to read the story but you know one element is the lakers were very adamant you know from the end of the season um going into another covid year right that they needed all players on the roster to be able to contribute and you know jared got hurt last year um so it's it's in one sense a little unfair to say that he couldn't contribute last year when he was on the you know the injured list but um you know did they feel like he was the best player they could get for that 14th role or that 14th man spot? Um, I think they wanted somebody who could could contribute more on the floor than Jared was able to at this at this point in his career. And that was a mandate that came straight from Jeannie Buss. You know, after um, you know, seeing the Lakers, you know, nearly run out of players once or twice last year, you know, they couldn't be in that position where they didn't have players who could help the team and help the team win. So uh, the decision was to you know, go all in on guys who are going to be able to contribute. And there were conversations with the Lakers about keeping Jared around in a different capacity, whether it's coaching front office, you know, broadcasting um, all things that he's expressed an interest in. But ultimately, I mean, the Lakers were not going to be able to contend or compete with a um, front of the bench assistant job that he got from the, the Dallas Mavericks. And then Frank Vogel, as you reported, is only extended through the 2022-23 season, which I found was like one of the more interesting details in the story. I've, I don't know if it has been aggregated yet. It probably has or, or will be. I, I hadn't seen that, but that to me was like, that stood out as just one of the more shocking details in this story. Uh, wh what do you think it means for him this season to, to only have that extra year? He is locked in with Westbrook and LeBron, so that there is some mirroring of that. But to have this new big three with all this pressure and, and then to also have a, a vastly different roster than he's accustomed to over the past two seasons, uh, as you and I have discussed, uh, and I think we discussed on our last podcast, the previous two Laker teams were you know, very defensive minded. And you, you had Alex Caruso, KCP, Dennis, Wes Matthews, Avery Bradley, Danny Green. You had these really good defensive guards that fit with Frank's system. Looking at this year's roster, it is completely different. And, and that defensive stopper might not be there. And it's more of an offensive minded team. So how do you view all of that with, with just the, the pressure of the season? And then now kind of Frank getting the extension, but it only being one extra season. Yeah. You know, I think in the story, uh, we describe it as more of a half measure than an actual commitment 
certainly mm-hmm. relative to what you see around the league. I mean, I listen, the bottom line to be completely blunt about it is it's, you know, it's, it's a fireable contract, you know, it, it's, it, the Lakers gave Frank Vogel an extension, right. Which is you know a little bit more guaranteed money and um, a modicum of job security. But if things went really poorly this year or things got really sideways, it's a contract you could, you, it's a pill you could swallow and move on from, which from Frank Vogel, I wouldn't feel great about. You got basically what you could get from the Lakers. Um, you know, I think the fact like you alluded to is it is important to note that, you know, his contract is lined up with LeBron James. I mean, I think it's fair to ask if the coach of the Lakers should, should have a longer contract than, than LeBron. I just think it's an interesting, it's an interesting detail though, because, um, because of all that Frank Vogel has accomplished in just two years, you know, won a championship with a team that nobody really saw was going to be a, 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 any LeBron James team is a contender and a favorite, but you know, I don't think people really expected that Lakers team in 2020 to win the title. Um, And, you know, they did obviously survive the bubble, overcame a whole lot of obstacles along the way. And then in year two, um, you know, Vogel builds the number one rated defense in the league with Anthony Davis missing half, half a season. And, you know, the, you go back to when the Lakers hired Frank Vogel, part of the reason he's the coach of the Lakers is where he was in his career after kind of flaming out in Orlando. Um, he was willing to take this contract, this three-year contract that was seen um, in, in coaching circles as insulting to the other candidates they had. Ty Lu was not willing to engage uh, on those terms. Monty Williams was not interested. So Frank, you know, who, um, you know, needed to rehab his image a little bit was a little more gettable on a, on a, on a three-year deal. And then he immediately makes good on it, has a pretty solid follow-up year. Although obviously the Lakers lose in, in, uh, in, in year two in the first round. Um, so he's going to year three of the contract and listen, I mean, it's not a um, wildly uh, out there take to say that it's just not fair to a coach to have to coach a LeBron James superstar led team as a lame duck. I mean, the coach doesn't have, you know, you don't have that job security to back up your message. Um, so he needed a contract extension, like I previously wrote and the Lakers extended him, but it was, you know, in this story and with the new reporting that we learned, it's just a one year deal, which, you know, doesn't necessarily alleviate the pressure of, of feeling, you know, kind of that contract being, um, uh, you know, expiring soon. And, the, the the last thing with the story that I, I found you know, that I think we should discuss uh, the projected starting lineup of Anthony Davis at the five, Trevor Ariza and LeBron at the forwards, uh, forward spots, Wayne Ellington and Russell Westbrook in the backcourt. You and I have had this discussion multiple times. We've both written about it. Uh, what do you think of that group and AD actually playing the five, Trevor getting the nod, and then Wayne Ellington, I guess, beating out uh, Kent Bazemore and Taylor Horton Tucker, most likely for that backcourt spot. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, obviously training camp is when things could shift, but this is mm-hmm. certainly the group that the Lakers, um, you know, and, and again, LeBron James, you know, have, have sort of, and Anthony Davis have, have and, and Russ have become, are the most comfortable with. And it's, you know, to me, like I was on spectrum sports net, you know, on the Lakers show a couple of weeks ago, and I really vacillated on what the right uh, answer at, at the two guard spot is. And I kind of, I actually landed on Kent Bazemore personally, because you need somebody who can guard opposing, you know, guards defend at the point of attack. And um, it's asking a lot of Russell Westbrook to um, guard some of these, you know, these ball handlers in the West. Um, and 
So I'm going to be interested to see that, you know, Ariza is interesting. He's you know one of the older guys on the team also. So you're, you know, you need, you need a lot out of him if he's going to start it, start at the three, but you know, he was, he was efficient in, in Miami last year. Um, you know, he has, he has aged well, but I mean, you are dealing with older guys. Uh, I just think it's, it's just imperative to not get in a situation where you have no spacing. If you're going to play, have Russell Westbrook, you can't start a traditional center unless it's just for the first three minutes of the game. And even then you're running the risk of, you know, getting, getting smacked. Um, so I just, I just think that it, you know, and we've, we've heard about sacrifice from this team, you know, since the Russell Westbrook Westbrook t- trade went down. And when, when you hear sacrifice to me, there's two real sacrifices that need to be made. It's Russ coming to Jesus a little bit on his shot selection. And then it's, it's Anthony Davis accepting that the, the, the price of getting this particular third superstar is that he needs to, that he needs to, you know, go to the five full time. And that wouldn't be the case if they had gotten, um, if they'd gotten, you know, Damian Lillard or even obviously Buddy Heald, right? You would have been able to maintain your, your spacing with uh, you know, Dwight or DeAndre starting at center. It's just not, it's just not plausible with, um, with, with uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, who's a, you know, as you've outlined many times, a you know, historically poor three-point shooter. So um, to me, it's a sort of, you know, what needs to happen for, all of this to work, you know, Ellington obviously gives them the shooting, the shooting. Um, you know, I, I just maybe would have leaned more to the defensive side of the ball because the Lakers lost so much, like you said in free agency, um, you know, and it's asking a lot of Trevor Ariza defensively because he's the only guy aside from Anthony Davis and that starting group who I really think of as, you know, even a, I don't know, even a plus defender, right? Like, so it's, it's um, asking a lot of those two guys, but I think like you said, this is going to be a Lakers team that is built on offense and it, it's just not going to, you know, maybe they can, maybe they can, you know, edge their way into the top 10 defensively, but in terms of being the defensive juggernaut that we've seen from the Lakers the last couple of years, they just don't have the personnel. I just don't see it. Yeah, and I think that that's a good segue into what else are you looking for heading into training camp? Uh, a couple things for me are just Russ's fit, which I think is going to be the theme yep. of the entire season. And ultimately, when we look back at the outcome of this year, it's it's going to be, did Russ fit well or did he not? And I just I don't see a way they win the title with Russ not sacrificing shot selection and turnovers and, and some you know defense and, and some of these things that have kind of plagued him over the past few years uh backcourt defense does anybody step up and you know who, who is because someone's gonna have to do it you know regardless of whether they're good at it or not you know is it Westbrook taking on that is Wayne Ellington kind of <laughs> impress or or is there you know because I, I think Frank where did Frank where, where's like the, the- where yeah. does Talon make make the I mean Talon's gonna play he needs to be probably probably needs to be their best backcourt defender um you know him him and uh Bazemore and you know Horton Tucker up to this point has sort of had more of like sort of a you know secret weapon type role on this team and so is he going to is he going to be able to take the step into rotation regular and constantly be defending you know some of the top guards in the league yeah I also look at Kendrick Nunn as someone that is a bit he's stout and he's okay defensively. Uh, does he maybe take a step yep. you know, under Frank? And uh, I, th- I think there's some size limitations there, but, and then ultimately the, as you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, like the positional battles that happen during training camp and what is this ultimate 
nine to 10 man rotation, you know, because if, if Wayne Ellington is starting at shooting guard, well, how, does that squeeze Kent Bazemore? Does that squeeze yeah. Talon? You know, does Talon, despite making $10 million a year being the fourth highest paid Laker, does he maybe take a, a smaller role than we think just because they do prioritize defense with that second mm-hmm. unit and maybe Kent get, gets the nod over him. Uh, you know, they, they got to find minutes for Kendrick Nunn. I mean, this is a guy who's averaging almost 30 minutes a game in consecutive seasons in Miami now accepting a bench role with the Lakers. So there's a lot of interesting positional battles and uh, just kind of lineup dynamics that I think are going to play out in training camp. Is there anything else I, I missed? Are there any topics that you want to dig into more? I mean, there's a few, I mean, we could go all day and it's kind of, you know, we're at the, we're at the start of training camp when, mm-hmm. you know, there's only questions. We have no answer. Well, aside from the few of the things we've been able to illuminate. Um, but you know, there, there a lot of questions and you know, for one, for me, um, what does Carmelo Anthony look like? Where does he fit in? Cause I don't really see a scenario where Carmelo Anthony comes here and doesn't play. Mm-hmm. So is he going to be able to be kind of the, the spot up assassin that they could really use? I mean, Rob Polinka sort of, spoke to a belief that he could be the other day when we spoke to Rob, he said that, you know, I've not only has um, Mello looked great in the gym so far, but, you know, really has shown a, a willingness to embrace that role. We're talking about the 10th leading scorer of all time in NBA history. So I'm fascinated to see uh, how he fits in uh, with this group. And then, I mean, listen, the, the biggest thing right now still to me is, is the state of the world and, and, and COVID-19. Uh, Palinka said last week, and I think, maybe somewhat of a surprise to those of us who follow this team that the Lakers will be hundred percent vaccinated by um, opening night on the 19th against the Warriors. Well, hundred percent vaccinated means everybody's gotten you know two doses or one dose of it's Johnson and Johnson and they're two weeks past that, that last shot. And so, you know, Lakers have some players who were some pretty vocal vaccine uh, deniers and, and, and skeptics, uh, notably, you know, as far as I know, White Howard and Kent Bazemore were both on the record, you know, um, expressing skepticism of, about vaccines and, you know, hundred percent vaccination rate among players is huge, but especially when you look around the, um, the league today, it, you know, it's Monday, a lot of teams are having their media day, Lakers is tomorrow. Um, and you're seeing a lot of players, you know, speak openly about their lack of faith in vaccines. They're, um, the fact they don't want to get vaccinated. Uh, Bradley Beal obviously was one who had some pretty strong um, words expressing you know, doubt in the vaccine. Obviously you got the Andrew Wiggins situation in San Francisco. Um, you know, Kyrie Irving remains a big question mark for the nets uh, with the, with the New York rules. So, you know, I do think that it's a credit to the Lakers and whatever they've been doing education wise with players, if they did indeed get all their players on board um, to be vaccinated. I mean, I think that just one, it takes this major distraction or potential obstacle more or less out of the equation for them. Obviously we've seen breakthrough cases and, and things like that, but um, you know, for this Lakers team to, for that to be less of a concern as opposed to some other teams that are potentially not going to have players available for all their games um, players who are, you know, putting themselves in a position to end up in the health and safety protocols again um, you know, it's, 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 it's potentially a, you know, an advantage for this Lakers team. And frankly, it's just a relief to cover a team that, um, you know, is getting it right. Yeah. Th- th- this is going to be the dominant storyline of the season. You, you have Andrew Wiggins, Kyrie Irving, uh, different play. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the Rolling Stone article come out a couple of days ago with some just wild, 
yeah. reporting in that one. Uh, so th- this is not going away. And uh, as long as the Lakers are fully vaccinated, they don't really, I mean, there's always the threat of just the outside world and the players that aren't vaccinated, but uh, th- that does minimize a lot of risk. What, one interesting follow-up on the, the mellow point that you made is uh, I am interested in, in his role and, and, you know, more specifically, I think there, there's been this sort of revisionist history with, with him buying into a smaller role where if, if you actually look at Portland's, you know, go to Portland's uh, team stats on NBA.com, he was fifth in the team in minutes and fifth on the team in shots. And I just don't mm-hmm. see that translating to LA. And that was even with him, as he's recently discussed, kind of finally accepting that bench role, you know, at this stage of his career and sort of accepting the limitations. So I, I do think he is certainly going to have a role and maybe it ends up being sort of a, a Keefe-esque role, but, but probably even bigger than that uh, in terms of being like a four and a five and, uh, maybe they go a little bit smaller at times with, with Mello or, or Trevor Ariza at the five or something like that. But uh, he is, I think that this is on paper, the smallest role he has ever had, maybe even smaller than that Houston role that upset him and, and caused basically that one year sabbatical for him. Um, so I am interested in in him kind of accepting that because I, I just don't see, I, I would be very surprised if he is fifth on this team in shot attempts and fifth on this team in minutes and it's not purely but do, but, it's not purely people. threes either he, he took six and a half two two pointers a game so those are a lot of post-ups isos um you know again there's there's only so many shots to go around and we're looking at you know three guys who are accustomed to taking 17 to, to 20 shots a night and are probably going to continue to take 17 to 20 shots a night so Mello is fighting kendrick nunn and Taylor horton tucker uh and Malik Monk for those extra, you know, 20 to 30 shots a night. And maybe he does get eight to 10, but uh, that to me seems a a little high. You know, yeah, I mean, that's all valid, but I guess it's most relevant in the context of if he doesn't get those opportunities, does it become a problem? Mm -hmm. Does he become, does he become um, dissatisfied with his role? Does he start making noise? Um, You know, does this end up not working? And I just feel like Mello knows what he's getting into here. You know, it like the opportunity to play with LeBron to, to potentially get that ring finally to play for the Lakers. Um, I mean, in the continued shadow of, of, you know, his friend Kobe Bryant, I think all of that sets up for Carmelo to be very Zen about his role this year. I would be surprised. Like, I don't know Mello that well, but like I just, I just feel like he has a really good sense and feel for what he's getting into, um, and I would just be really surprised if if Mello not getting those opportunities you're talking about leads to him being discordant with the rest of this roster. I think having LeBron here, you know, makes makes him. Um, I think that is a big. I think he came here for that more than you know to be fifth on the team in shots or in 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 scoring. I think that there is a. Um, an understanding of what is expected of him and what his role is going to be. Obviously he can carve out a bigger role by being awesome. But like, I just think that, um, you know, if he is the, you know, if he is averaging, you know, 20, 19, 20 minutes a game and, you know, is the eighth man, let's say, like, I think that he probably has a pretty good understanding of that going into the season. Now that we are almost two months removed from the Westbrook trade and, and all the subsequent moves, where are you at? 
confidence wise in this roster? Cause I think you and I, I, I sometimes check my Twitter replies, which I, I, I know I shouldn't do, but I think sometimes we get accused of being a little too pessimistic on this team. And well, it's not, I don't know about you. I, I sure do. <laughs> well, I, I've gotten that too. And, and that sometimes we're, we're a little too down and on the Westbrook fit and, and, you know, just some of the moves they made, um, you know, I, I, I've been on record. Like I, I do think that once you made the Westbrook trade, I think they, they did a pretty good job of filling out the rest of the roster. I, I would have preferred the buddy healed deal and not to rehash that whole thing, but like I would have yeah. pre- preferred that. But once you went, you know, pot committed to Russell Westbrook, I, I think they did find a, a good level of shooting. And, and really the only criticism I, I still have is, is the Alex Crusoe situation. I, I think if they bring him back, to me, they're like the bulletproof. I don't see how they lose in the West, barring an injury. And I think they're they're right there for, for me with uh, with Brooklyn. I'd still probably put Brooklyn ahead of them. But but to me, Alex was kind of that missing piece of just I don't know who that defensive stopper is. But I think zooming out, kind of you know looking back over just two months out, uh, I think I am more confident in this roster, and especially with the AD news, you know, because that that was a question of. Are they going to try to? I mean, imagine DeAndre and AD and Russ, and then it, like it, and LeBron, and then it doesn't matter to me who you put in that fifth spot. The spacing is just awful, and I just don't see like I'm packing the paint. I'm saying you know anybody uh, shoot the ball as long as you're not getting to the rim. I don't really care like what you're doing offensively. So I, I think the Lakers going to you know AD being being willing to sacrifice playing the five more, uh, seemingly LeBron playing the four more, like that stuff. I think is trending in the right direction. And again, it's not a perfect roster. I think there still are some flaws, especially on the defensive side, but uh, I am feeling better about it than I was a month ago or even two months ago. Yeah. It's just such a dramatic pendulum swing from where they were last year. You know, they were a good defensive team, but what, what can they do? They couldn't shoot. And so they, they solved one problem, but at the for the sake of, you know, at the, at the cost of their strength. Uh, I want to read you this Polinka quote from the other day when we were all on Zoom with Rob. Um, this is, he said, you know, this is in the wake of, of Alex leaving, said that they were, uh, they made an effort to keep Alex, wanted to keep him, but, you know, free agent, he left. Uh, Rob Polinka says, we had a plan to take some of the skill set that Alec brings to the table and find that in other free agents that were available. And I think if you look at how we ended up filling out the roster, it was important for us to be strong in all the ba- different basketball categories. And I feel like we dimensionalized that with some of the other guys we signed End quote. So what he's saying is they feel like they got what Alex Crusoe did in the form of some of these other free agents. What is he talking about? <laughs> like I, uh, unless, unless you think T- Taylor Horton Tucker is taking a huge step. I mean, obviously Kent Bazemore is a defensive minded guy, um, Trevor Ariza also, but in terms of what Alex Caruso did, cause I agree with you. I think that's the black mark of the off season. I'm not sure who's going to, like you said, going to give them what Alex Caruso gave in terms of his on-ball defense, you know, his, you know, you know, didn't, didn't turn the ball over, didn't need the ball offensively, um, could have been a better three-point shooter, you know, and I think that you're going to see, you know, him probably progress in that area elsewhere now. But I do, I just think that that is a, a huge hole, and you're asking a lot of 32-year-old Kent Bazemore if he ends up taking on some of that role, um, or, you know, 19 year old Taylor Horton Tucker. I think he's 21 now, but um, you know, it's kind so of on, on both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's like, it's like, can Kent Bazemore still do it or can Taylor Horton Tucker do it yet? And, and there's just, there's a little bit of a gamble there. And, you know, I mean, 
you know, also, like you said, Kendrick Nunn, maybe a little bit, but I mean, not, not a stopper. You know, they, we don't think of him as, as a stopper. Trevor Ariza is going to be busy. I don't think you can have Trevor Ariza, you know, trying to slow opposing guards. And at 37 years old, I don't know if you want him, you know, on, on point guards. So um, it's just, it's going to be a really interesting question to see who does step into that role defensively. Does anyone step into that role defensively? Or is this just not a good defensive team that relies on, you know, having, really strong shooting and LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. Sorry. I sometimes forget about Russell Westbrook, even though we talk about him nonstop. I'm like, it's still AD and LeBron. Well, and, and uh, another interesting quote from that press conference to me, and and this kind of ties into something we talked about earlier with Frank Vogel is uh, Rob essentially, because there was a follow-up question on the defense. I I believe you even asked it uh, if if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But Rob kind of said, you know, we, we've seen the Frank Vogel effect over the past two seasons and him maximizing uh, the, the defensive talent. And yes, in part, that was personnel-based and, and us having some really good defenders. But part of that too was Frank Vogel and his system and, and him understanding how to maximize defensive personnel. And I, I think, you know, that... that they're, they're, I mean, and I think that ties into some pressure on, on Frank of like, you know, if this is the 15th ranked defense, is that kind of falling at Frank's feet, uh, so to speak? Whereas, you know, to, to me, that's more of a roster construction thing. But I do think it, it is interesting that it seems like the Lakers are partially betting that they can, you know, that, that maybe some of these guys are better defensively than we think. And then also betting that maybe Frank Vogel can make them be better defensively than they have previously been. Or he can just find a way to hide certain guys in a new system. This is going to have to be a new system. There's no way, you know, you're not pressuring guys playing one-on-one trapping and, and rotating the way that the Lakers previously rotated, I, I think with, with this current roster. So how does Frank change the defense? And, and I, I guess that, that to me is a, a fascinating thing, which we're going to see in training camp and really next week. I mean, we, we are less than a week from their first game against the Nets. I, I don't know how much we're actually going to see from that game, but it, it is going to be interesting to, to kind of see the, the starting group. What does the defense look like? Uh, who actually plays and, uh, and then kind of go from there. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting, like if, you know, just getting back to, you know, the actual commitment the Lakers are making to Frank, Frank Vogel with, with the one year extension is, I mean, if it'll be interesting, if, if this isn't a good defensive team and the expectation that Rob Polinka is setting is that they still will be a good defensive team. Um, is that something that ends up, you know, being held against Frank in the, you know, in the near or long term? I, I don't know the answer. I mean, but I do think, you know, I mean, let's let's see it. You know, I mean, obviously, I mean, the Lakers know, you know, they know what the, the holes on this team are. Um, you know, I'll be curious to see. I mean, it's possible that there will be a, a defensive scheme that makes the Lakers, um, you know, a top third defensive team. I mean, they still have Anthony Davis, who. I think is the annual preseason favorite for defensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen a lot of guys on this team defend. We've seen LeBron defend, um, you know, over the last couple of years, more so in that 2019, 20 uh, title run, but we've seen LeBron defend at a really high level in the regular season for the Lakers under Frank Vogel. Um, you know, they're going to need that from him this year. So, um, you know, I'm not ruling out the possibility of the Lakers still being a competent defensive team, but on paper, right? Like, which is what we have so far, unless, unless, unless you were the guy who was like filming between the bleachers at the mini camp over the weekend. I still haven't seen this team play together. That's some great Um, journalism there. (laughs) I haven't seen this team play together. And so I'm always willing to extend the benefit of the doubt until we get to see it. 
Yeah, I think for, for me, I, I would pencil them in somewhere in that 10 to 15 range. Uh, I think 10 is probably the optimistic version of this and, and 15. I mean, the other thing is that a, a lot of the perimeter isolation talent has shifted east. And I, I think like looking at, you, you got the small guards of, you got Dame, you got Steph, you, you got Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Chris Paul. Uh so you got some of those guys that I think they're going to have trouble matching up with. And then you, you of course got Luca. Uh, but the, I mean, Kawhi's out uh, for most of the season, if not all of it, you still have Paul George, but like, I actually think some of that stuff has, has shifted East with KD and, and James Harden and Giannis and Jimmy Butler. And like, the, the, there's a lot of, of problems, Jason Tatum like there's a lot I think there's a lot of bigger wing problems in the east so maybe that's something that kind of plays in the Lakers advantage in just playing more west games but uh we, we will see we are six days away from the Lakers playing the Nets and that'll be our, our first taste of, of what this team looks like uh anything else Bill before we get out of here I mean you know Jovan you and I are both ramping up and you know it'll be our second beat on our second year on the beat together looking forward to that I think there's going to be some pretty um pretty great coverage of this team. Um, obviously a lot of interest. So if you uh, haven't yet, I mean, please consider a subscription to the athletic. I mean, 50% off right now um, opportunity to get in at, at that discounted rate. And, you know, remember if you subscribe to the athletic, you're not just getting my stories and Yovan's stories. If you're a Lakers fan, you're getting literally any story in the athletic on any team in the country. I mean, we cover, you know, most pro pro teams. We have writers in almost every major market in the country tons of colleges. Uh, and by the way, in this country, in England too, if you're into, if you follow the premiership. So I just honestly, one, if you're listening to this, you probably already subscribe and read our stories, but it, it by some chance you don't, uh, I assure you, this is the time to get in. Definitely. And, and make sure you, you check out Bill's story. It is great. Uh, make sure if, if you haven't subscribed to subscribe to that one and, and help, help Bill out. That, uh, it helps us out when you subscribe to our specific stories versus just subscribing to the site. So make sure to do that. Uh, but as always, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for being patient. Uh, I, I know it's been a while. It's been about, well, it's been almost two months since our last podcast. So we appreciate the patience, but we are back on a weekly basis. I will be back after the Lakers Nets preseason opener uh, on Sunday, and I will talk to you then. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.